everybody, Susan Finch here, your host for All Volunteer, All Heart from Binky Patrol. And today, I, it's part of our continuing series from the Mr. Ballin Foundation and all of the new family. We have been drawn together with like hearts, wanting to help heal lives that have been affected by violent and traumatic events. And well, today I am here with Tammy Phillips, who I met on a group chat that we all got to know each other. And it was so interesting to hear about the work that they do using, originally it started just with horses to do search for missing people in cold cases a lot of times or where they give up, they lose funding, there's nobody to help look and they stepped in. So I wanted to introduce Tammy to you and she can introduce the rest of her team. So welcome Tammy, I'm so glad you guys are all here. Thank you, thank you for inviting us today. Sure. I want to introduce our team. This is Angelina Ferris. She is our deputy director, Ken Hello. Sanders, Mary Albright, Hi. and Mark Edwards. Now Mark's been outside setting up big tents and things I heard for a training you guys have. Along with Ken, yes. Wow. So let's get a little bit of information before I get into that training, because that was fascinating to hear what has to be done to prepare your volunteers. So tell me, First, what got you started? I've read the story on the website, but for everybody that hasn't had a chance to go over there yet, can you give us the story of what led to this organization? Sure, I will. And if I got choked up, I still get choked up today about this story. In 1984, Laura Miller, she was 16 years old, went missing from an area that is just south of Houston, kind of between Houston and Galveston, Texas. She was 16 years old. She was last seen at a convenience store at a payphone. Her family had just moved from one home to another. And, you know, back in the day, you had to, there were no cell phones. You had to wait for your landline to be connected. So she wanted to invite her boyfriend over for dinner. So her mom dropped her off at the payphone. It was only about a mile and a half from their home. And, you know, she was 16 years old. We all used to walk back in the day, right? right. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So she convinced her mother to leave her at the payphone. And that's the last time that she was seen alive. So her parents reported her missing to the local police and they told her she was a runaway. They needed to go home and wait for the phone to ring or wait for her to come back home. Well, they knew she was not a runaway. And 17 months later, her body was found in a field that is now referred to as the Texas killing fields. At the time that her body was found, she was found with uh, the remains of one other young woman. And previous to that, there had been another girl discovered in that same field. And since Laura and the other girl were there, there's been yet another body found in that same place. So a total of four bodies found in the same field. Those murders are still unsolved today. Our founder and director, who's Tim Miller, which is Laura's father, believes that he knows who murdered the girls. But as of today, we don't have enough evidence to get an arrest. Hopefully that will change soon, but it's been many, many years since the 1980s. So there was another girl that went missing unrelated to this case in an area near us called Friendswood, Laura Smithers. She was, how old was Laura? 13 12. or 15? 12? 12. She was 12, went out for a jog and never returned home. So Tim actually helped that family search for her and as a result of that, someone came up to him and approached him because they knew he had horses and approached him and asked if he had ever thought about searching for missing persons using his horses. And he lovingly refers to all of his friends back then as hill hillbillies on horseback. 
So that's basically the way the organization started. Tim was in construction at the time, had a very successful construction business, thought he would be doing two or three searches a year with this organization. And we get at least two or three calls a day requesting our help today. Oh. Yeah. You covered something in the beginning though, and I see it showing up more and more in news stories and missing person stories, how people, families are blown off saying that, oh, it's a runaway, just wait. Mm-hmm. When And we know, we know from TV shows, we know from the news, we know the first 48 hours are the most critical, first 12 hours. And to just say, wait, and, uh, you know, they're just being a teen, they're just being a kid, they're just whatever. Right. And sometimes and, that is the case, but it's just difficult to know when that is the case or it's not the case. And right now we work in conjunction with law enforcement and with families because law enforcement is spread so thin right now with everything that they're dealing with that we're just an additional resource once we have a geographic area that we feel like is, you know, that we can be of help and we can be of service. That's when we step in. We're not an investigator per se. We have to do our research, certainly, in order to determine a search area, but we are basically boots on the ground. We have a lot of resources. We have uh, ground searchers. We have people on ATVs. That's what our training is going to be about tomorrow. Uh, We have drones. We have well cameras. We have other resources that partner with us. We've got a, a business down the street that flies helicopters, and all we have to do is pick up the phone and say, hey, can you fly us down here or there? And they're always willing to help out. So we've got a lot of partners that help us out as well. So you are limited to Texas, any specific part of Texas? No, we're not limited. As a matter of fact, we've been in, what, 47 or 48 states now? 43 states, 11 countries. I was in Minnesota just four months ago. Yeah, Mark was in Minnesota. So we've gone all over. And our founder, Tim Miller, is 76 years old. He comes in to work almost every single day. He advises on every case that we work on. In his younger days, he did a lot of traveling and internationally as well. He was involved with the Natalie Holloway case in Aruba, went down there many, many times looking for Natalie. So we've been involved in probably about 2,500 cases throughout the 23 years, almost 20, well, it is 23 years now. And we've recovered over 700 people, 400 plus we've recovered alive and safe. And we've recovered another 300 plus remains. Wait, okay. So didn't get deep enough into your site. Tell me about those wonderful successes too, that it isn't oh, just great. nothing like a happy ending. Yeah. Oh, Let my gosh. Tell you- let Mark tell you about our favorite story, Kenny Marshall. Okay. Uh, we had a 54-year-old man disappear from a small town uh, about 150 miles north of Houston. He was life-flighted to a hospital in Houston, and it overwhelmed him. They said he had the mentality of a 10-year-old child. He walks out of the hospital on a Sunday night, and they don't even figure out he's gone till Monday morning. He told some homeless people he was never going back to that hospital. And we looked and looked and looked for him. And we knew we were often just right behind him because we get we get these calls to our tip line saying, this man asked me if I knew where Zavala, Texas was at. Well, that's his hometown and he was trying to get back home. And we were looking for this man and he would walk sometimes eight miles in a day. And it was, how many days? It was a lot of five, days. We were out there five five days. days. And so we're, we had ATV division out on the abandoned golf course. And the sand traps in the abandoned golf course, the little pine trees grow up immediately. 
and we're looking at, we're, and, I, and I'm standing in the sand trap, looking in the sand for footprints. And I look up and right in front of me is Kenny Marsh. And I can't put him in a headlock, take him to see his sisters because <laughs> he's a person. And so I just thought, if I say the wrong word, he's going to bolt. Yep. I said, hi, my name is Mark. And he says, well, my name is Kenny. <laughs> and I knew I had the right guy. And I said to him, Kenny, there's a whole lot of people looking for you. And he says, well, I've been looking for you too. <laughs> and, uh, and my partner, we knew that Kenny loved coffee and skull. And my partner had a can of skull. And over alongside of me, I see Randy's arm come out with that can of skull. And Kenny's eyes got big around. And I knew we had him. I said, Kenny, if you get on the back of my ATV, I'm going to take you about a mile away from here where your sisters are waiting. They were jumping up and down and screaming. Oh. And we've had a lot of those. We've had a lot of times where we find people and they're alive and well. We have a lot of people who are either dementia or Alzheimer's, and they walk out their front door and we look for them for five or eight days only to find out they're sitting in a hospital getting all the care they need. But because of HIPAA laws, we can't get verification if they're in that hospital. And it's always a constant challenge. Yes. But we'll take a live and well any way we can get it. True. True. Oh, my goodness. I love those stories. Because I can just imagine the families and their relief. Yeah. And the community that comes together that's been looking or, you know, checking their phones, checking the streets, checking in front of their businesses. Like, Is that him? Is that him? I can. You know, oh. people, people will go out of their way to help us. Yes. Uh, they'll often tell us if that was my kid missing, I'd want someone to call. And uh, we never trespass on property to search for people. As field operations managers, we go in advance and our analyst here, Mary, will find a phone number. God will, she will find a phone number of that property owner. And we'll call them up and charm them into letting us look on their property, which is quite a liability and a real sacrifice for them. But as many years as we've been doing this, I have only known of two instances where people have said, you're not searching my property. They open up their gates or they'll give us the combinations. They open up their hearts. And many times they open up their homes to us as well. If yes. we need to drink yes. water or use the restroom, or we've even had people offer to put us up for lodging on these overnight searches. Oh, wow. Wonderful. How many volunteers do you have right now in your network? Because I know a lot, of them, a lot of them, you guys are sort of on call too. It's as needed. Right, exactly. We have a very large, just to back up a little bit, we've got a very large following on Facebook, about 130,000 people that follow us on Facebook. So many times when we have a missing person, we will post the case on Facebook and we get a lot of tips and leads that way. And those are the leads that we got on the Kenny Marshall case that really put us in the right place. As far as volunteers go, we have about 800 people that are signed up as membership with us, as members with us. Not all of those people are active searchers, but we try to find uh, a role for everyone. Some people, you know, want to help us raise money. Some people like to go to our events. Some people do nothing but share our postings on Facebook. And that's okay, because that's a big resource for us to receive tips. Sometimes people will call us when they won't call law enforcement either. They've, you know, maybe they've had a bad issue with law enforcement or they've got some outstanding warrants or whatever. And we keep all of our tips anonymous if they request that. I think about, you know, the, the evils and the pluses and everything of social media, but 
when we draw together as a community Amen. It is the best reason for its existence right because it is the quickest way to mobilize and you know to ask for help and to right. share those triumphs and the wins when you have right. those because that's addicting i mean yeah, i want to i want to read happy ending stories and i know they can't all be happy endings and they're not you know even you when they're not happy endings the closure that you bring to that family because we have volunteers who first met us because their loved one was missing and their loved one's never been found and you can see it on their face it still eats them every day now the not knowing is so much worse than finally knowing and the grief cycle the six steps of grief step number six being coming to terms with your loss and moving on again to a meaningful life and if you never find your loved one you will never move on again to meet a meaningful life and it's torturous and to be able to bring that hope and that gift to your fellow man is addicting it feeds us it's what keeps us coming back day after day after day None of you have to answer this because it's your privacy and I'm being a nosy reporter here. When you came to volunteer for Texas EquiSearch, did you have a personal tie to it or know somebody that did? Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, tell your story. If you want to. Yeah, so um, about nine years ago, um, my sister-in-law called me and she, she said, hey, Uncle Ken, she said, um, one of my friends went missing and uh, Texas EquiSearch is going to do a search for her. Would you like to come? Because me and her husband, Stephen, are going in the morning. And I said, absolutely. Uh, I'm a retired uh, fireman from uh, New Jersey. And uh, they knew that I had some skills that might be able to help them out. So, of course, I was I was all in 100 percent. And I said, what time he is leaving in the morning? She said, well, we got to be there. It starts at 8 a.m. So we want to get there like 7 a.m. And I said, oh, that's a Saturday at work. You know, OK, <laughs> I'll be there. So um, I get up Saturday morning about 6 o'clock in the morning. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door. And the phone rings. And it's my sister-in-law. And I said, Natalie, what's going on? She said, oh, you know, me and Stephen had a rough night last night. And we're just not going to be able to make it today. And I said, really? I said, OK. Um, I'm going. I want to see what this is all about, and I'm, I'm going to go. So I went there, and that's when I first drove up, and I saw this big command center, and I saw all these yellow shirts and volunteers, and I said, what the heck's going on here? So I went in, and there was a desk there, and they said, are you here to search? And I said, yes, sir. And I signed this, this paper. I didn't even know what I was signing. They just put all my information on the sign-in sheet, and I met with a group of guys and they said are you foot searching and i said sure and they're over here and that's what had that's exactly how i got into it and i went out that day and we searched and searched and searched and then the following day they were resuming the search search and uh i went to partner with somebody on an atv and uh, we were searching on the left side of the highway and she was deceased on the right side and they found it and ever since that day that was it. I've, I've been here ever since nine years now. This podcast is sponsored by Impact for Good at impact4good.com. Impact for Good is the one source for bringing community service to your next event. Exciting and engaging team building activities are just part of what they offer. Let them identify the best cause or beneficiary to support 
manage the donation logistics, and bring the spirit of community service to your group. From your initial request through the day of your event, Impact for Good handles all the details. Be sure to visit them at impact4good.com. That's Impact for Good. Tough story. It is because it's somebody that, I mean, it's one thing to volunteer for an organization and to want to make a difference and help. But when it's your people, your blood that you're looking for, that's a whole different thing. And the news that you have to take back home. But the other news you were able to bring is the effort that everybody put into it. Right. It was, right. It, was it was just amazing. I mean, even being a fireman, um, never saw an organization as well put together as this one. And I said, I'm all in. It's been, it's just been an, an honor actually to do what we do really is for the families. When there's a crisis in a, in a small town, even though you don't know anybody, everybody comes together as one. Mm-hmm. And it's just really an amazing sight to see. Mary has a story too of how she. So I grew up, you know, knowing about EcoSearch and who Tim Miller is, but my kind of backstory comes from my older sister. She went to the Houston Ballet with Laura Smithers. And so I was really young when, when she disappeared. And I didn't understand what it was about. And on our mantle at home, we had her memorial pamphlet. And I always asked my parents, like, what happened? What happened? And I always felt like a darkness behind it, right? Like I just knew something was wrong. And so all my life, I kept on questioning until I got old enough to understand the whole story behind it all. It was bigger than what you know I ever thought it was. So when I saw Tim Miller on the TV one time, because my mom's always like, Tim Miller's on TV, so no. <laughs> and because um, she knows how much... I always wanted to figure out kind of with victims, like why them? And maybe it extends back from that. But um, she told me, oh yeah, they're looking for volunteers. And I was like, oh really? And so I I went on the website and didn't realize how easy it was to join. So I joined and, you know, felt like family the first day. I like met Tim, which I never thought I would. And he gave me a hug and he said, "Uh, well, you're stuck with us now. And, you know, I've been here ever since. <laughs> but and that's been how many years? Uh, since 2016. Yeah. 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 So I always say we see the best of humanity and the worst of humanity all in one day. You do. But look at how you were called to that before you knew that that's what was happening. But you know what? Some ways I think we're all called. Yeah. Mark Twain said, Two greatest days in your life is the day you're born and the day you figure out why. And I, I think when you step out of yourself and you start giving to your fellow man and you see the impact that it makes and it becomes addicting, I, I think you find a real quality in your life yes. by doing for others like that. It's, it's just, I retired and started doing this and I'll never, I, I'll do this till they put me in a box. There's an amazing case, if I may. I would like Kevin sure. to speak of. Uh, there was a the vehicle out in uh, out south, and the when you guys died. Yeah, so uh, we we had a uh, security guard. He was doing security for an abandoned piece of property for an oil company. They had abandoned the property, but they were planning on selling the property, so they hired a security guard, and he worked 
the night shift and he would always come home the same time every morning. One morning he didn't show up and uh, family members called and said, hey, you know, my husband never showed up from work this morning. Uh, Mark was actually the search coordinator on that one. And uh, we got the call, talk, Mark talked to the family as a matter of fact, and uh, went out to the scene. And do you want to explain what happened, how you well, got to that point? We had ATV out there and them boys come and found me. They said, I need you to look at this. It went from beautiful mowed grass around the offices, vacant offices, went from beautiful mowed grass to chest high weeds. And they said, well, what do you think that is? I said, well, either two 300-pound hogs ran into that water side by side, or there's a car in there. Yeah, we put a drone up. We really believed there was a car in that water. And before you can call law enforcement and tell them you believe there's a car in the water, you better make sure there's a car in the water. There is nothing more embarrassing. Or the wrong car, because we've done that too. And with the Army gaggle of all the television cameras in the city, and it was the wrong car. So then the divers go in the water after the drone convinces us there's something in there. Mm -hmm. And then it got exciting. So, uh, yeah, so after Mark gives us the coordinates where they saw this object in the water, put the diver in the water, and uh, we have communication underwater with him. And I was on the shore directing him in a grid pattern of uh, where these coordinates were. And uh, we searched everything, and it was a couple of hours, and it was really hot out. And the only one that was cool was my diver that was in the water. Yeah. And uh, he wouldn't come out to let me get in, so it was a little rough for me. <laughs> but uh, we were there probably two hours, a good two hours in the water. And I turned to Mark and I said, Mark, I said, you know, what do you want to do? I says, I mean, we checked all the targets that, you know, we had and we come up empty. And he said, well, I guess I guess that's it. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, I got a diver in the water who still has 2000 pounds of air. I says, I'm sending him out further. I said, yeah, further. So I got on my comms and my dive partner, his name is Mark, and I got on the comms and I said, hey, Mark, I said, go west, 10 more kicks west. And he got on the comms and he said, west. Now we can hear them because he's sitting next to the squawk box. Right. So everybody on the bank can hear what the diver underwater is telling him. Right. Loud and clear, just like we're talking. So uh, I tell him, yeah, go give me 10 kicks more to the west. And he said, west. And I said, yes, sir, west. And he goes, you mean further out? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, okay, if that's what you want. And it got quiet and he, I could watch his bubbles and he was going 10 more kicks out to the west. He counted them, I think. And he counted them. And um, all of a sudden he says, hold up a minute. I think I got something I here. I think I got something here. I still got chills. And I said, okay, take your time and identify. And it got quiet for a minute. A minute, an hour and a half. <laughs> felt like it. it. Felt like an hour and a half. And then he come on, he come back on the radio and he goes, "Yep, we have a target." And I said, "Okay, identify the target." And he read off the license plate number of that vehicle that was under that water. And Mark said, "That's our vehicle." That's our man. We all screamed. And uh, that's when I said, "Okay, I'll be right there." And I got all my stuff on. And we went out there, tied a buoy up to the car, and got it ready to be brought in by tow truck. And then? And then the party starts because then we need to notify law enforcement. And once you do that, they come from all <laughs> over. 
Actually, what? There, there's nothing like hearing the right license plate being read from oh, underwater. Oh man, it's so. amazing. Yeah. But you know, we do have an important and uh, hard set protocol. We call Angelina, and then we we step back because we never want to be the one who notifies next to kin. It's not our job, and we don't want the news state channels to report it in advance. And so we're very careful of how we handle that every situation. We will just step back. You know, one of the greatest examples of what we do as a team was just a few months ago on Surfside Beach, about two hours south of Houston. And um, a young college student from uh, Prairie View A&M University went with his buddies to go swimming in the beach, in Surfside Beach. He, didn't, he never came out of the water. And Fort Coast Guard has a, a really tough job. They do rescues. They don't do recoveries. They don't. So at some point, they're going to have to tell the family this news. So they called Equisearch in and the police, and they broke that news as gently as they could to the family that we've done this much. And then they said, Equisearch, can you do the rest? And we were honored. But we told that family that we would not we would not leave. Go ahead. We would not leave that beach and leave their son to come to shore alone. And we would be there until he came back. And we were. And so it was three nights and four days and all night long, as far as you could see down the 14 miles of Surfside Beach from the city of Surfside to Bo to uh, the pass. San Luis Pass. San Luis Pass, 14 miles. All you could see was Equisearch flashing red and blue and yellow lights on the ATVs as we slowly patrolled and we never let a piece of that beach be empty for any length of time for when that little boy came back. And then the blessing came from above when he did finally come to shore. His family, and they brought their pastor that day they were gathered at a restaurant about a mile and a half down and they didn't, we were so worried. It's just, the family doesn't need to see that. We will make sure that that didn't happen. And Tim was, Tim Miller, our director, our boss and our friend. And who better to notify families in such a terrible situation than someone who's lived it. And that's why Tim is so good at that. So he went down and he notified the family while the rest of us stayed with law enforcement, answered all the questions and took care of business. And that young man was taken and got the, the service that he deserved and his family needed. But to see how exhausted our volunteers were and, and then Tammy and, and Angelina would send out another automated call out and they would come in shifts. And so just as, as, as some of the volunteers would get totally exhausted here came fresh troops to cover their tracks we'd get up on the beach houses on the balconies with binoculars waiting god help us we did not want some mom with her little kids to be swimming and and we were able to we were able to make that happen it was such a great illustration of what good-hearted kind people who don't even know you, but they care enough to show up and give up their time and their gas money. 
and they care so much. It's a real privilege and honor to hang around those kind of people. And you probably see it in the volunteer work that you do too. And it just those kind of people exist. And when you surround yourself with those kind of people, only good things can happen. We talked about callings early on in this visit. And that is one of the things in our volunteers of financial situations, they've had to move, go to new states. And they say that Binky Patrol is their biggest blessing because they can instantly kind of put an ad out for like-hearted people. Mm -hmm. And so that's how they make their new friends. Because if somebody gets what we do, what all of us do, and they want to do it with us, that is who we want to surround ourselves with. That's That's who you want to know. That's who you want to date. I mean, come on. You know, who needs a dating app? Go volunteer somewhere. There we go. There's our next ad. Tammy, we have our next ad. That's That's our next side hustle. I want to see your volunteer profile. Let me swipe. Not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Oh my gosh. What I am so glad you could all join me today. I can't believe the gift I was given to have all five of you. Well, thank you for the opportunity. We appreciate it. Go to texasequisearch.org, which is E-Q-U-U. You can find them on social media, but we will have all the links. You can listen to this and all of our episodes in your favorite podcast apps. Look for all volunteer, all heart from Binky Patrol. Go to binkypatrol.show or binkypatrol.org to learn more about everything that we do and to see how you can get started with your one hour a month. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.